1: Hello, you're listening to 5 Minute Folklore with me, Bob Shoy. On this episode, I'll be talking about the Vila, originating in Serbian folklore and appearing in many different European, especially Slavic tales. They are also the inspiration for the ballet Giselle and a race of magic users from Harry Potter. They are beautiful nature spirits that can also have a darker side and so are best left alone. I have a few stories in which Vila play a part, so as usual I'm going to start the episode out with one now. This one's about two brothers whose opinions differ greatly, and who both encounter the Vila. This story was originally written in 1853 by Serbian philologist and linguist Vuk Stavanovic Karadzic, who is considered the father of the study of Serbian folklore, and is titled Right and Wrong – A certain king had two sons, the one cunning and unjust, the other just and good. After the death of their father, the unjust brother said to the just one,
2: Get you away from me. We cannot live together any longer. Here, you have 300 gold pieces and a horse. This is your share of our father's inheritance.
1: There is nothing more for you. The just brother took the 300 gold pieces and the horse and departed. Saying as he went, Heaven be praised,
2: although I have received only this much from the whole kingdom.
1: After some time, the two brothers met on the high road. Each mounted on his horse. The just brother called to the unjust one.
2: God help you, my brother.
1: And the other answered,
2: God give you nothing but evil. Why do you always bring in the name of God? Wrong is better than right.
1: Then the good brother answered,
2: Come. I will lay a wager that wrong is not better than right.
1: And they made a bet together for 100 gold pieces and agreed that the first man they met should decide the wager. Going further on, they met the demon on horseback, who had changed himself into a monk. They asked him to tell them which was better, right or wrong. The demon answered, Wrong. And so the good brother lost his 100 gold pieces. But they bet again for the second and third hundred pieces. And according to the decision of the demon, who assumed different shapes each time he appeared to them, the just brother lost all three hundred gold pieces, and his horse as well. Then said he,
2: Heaven be praised. I have not a single gold piece left, but I have my eyes still, and I will wager with you for them once more.
1: And he wagered his eyes that right was better than wrong. Then his brother without seeking further for a judge, drew forth his knife and cut the other's eyes out and cried, Now you are without eyes. Let right help you. But the other, pitiable as was his plight, still praised God and said,
2: I've lost my eyes for the right of heaven. Now I pray you, O my brother, to give me some water in a vessel, that I may moisten my mouth, wash my wounds, and lead me forth, and leave me under the fir tree by the spring.
1: The brother listened to his entreaty, gave him some water in a vessel, led him out, and left him under the fir tree by the spring. And as the miserable man stood there, he heard, at a certain hour in the night, the villas come to the spring. And as they bathed in it, they said to each other,
3: Do you know, sisters, that the king's daughter is ill of leprosy? The king has called all the physicians together, but not one of them can heal her. If anyone only knew it, Anne would take some of this water immediately after we have left it, and would tell the king's daughter to bathe in it. In a day and a night she would be well, as would all, whether lame, deaf or blind, become healed who bathe in this water.
1: At this moment the cock crowed, and the villas disappeared. On hearing this, the unhappy man crawling on all fours dragged himself from under the fir tree down to the water, washed his eyes in it, and immediately received his sight. Then he filled his vessel with the water, went quickly to the king, whose daughter was ill of leprosy, and said to him,
2: I am come to heal your daughter. If she admit me into her presence, she will be made well in a day and a night.
1: When the king heard this, He at once admitted him into the maiden's chamber, and the man gave orders that the princess should be bathed in the water he had bought. And when a day and a night had passed, the maiden was well and clean from leprosy. The king was overjoyed. He gave the just brother half his kingdom and his daughter for a wife, and thus the man became the king's son-in-law and the first man in the land after the king. This news soon spread over the whole kingdom, and came to the ears of him who always had said that wrong was better than right. He thought to himself, My brother found
2: his fortune under the fir tree.
1: And away he went, to seek for it there himself. First he took some water in a vessel, then went under the fir tree and cut out his eyes with a knife. At a certain hour in the night, the velas came there to bathe. And they began to talk among themselves how the king's daughter had been healed.
3: Someone must have overheard us, they said, when we were talking of how she could be healed with the water we had bathed in. Perhaps even now someone is listening to us. Come and let us see.
1: And when, as they looked about them, they came under the fir tree and discovered the man who had come there to seek his fortune and who had always said that wrong was better than right, they seized him and tore him into four pieces. And this is how Wrong came to the help of the unjust. Later in the episode, I have another story by Stefanovic Karadzic, as well as an epic poem starring classic Serbian folklore hero Prince Marko and his encounter with a particularly notorious villa. But first, I'm going to talk about villas in general in Serbian and other European folklores. Although their details and origins change across different European stories, Vila are always portrayed as beautiful female nature spirits, usually associated with water, forests and mountains, in which they make their homes. They exist as a sort of part ghost, part fairy nymph, sometimes appearing translucent, and are carefree, playful and perhaps slightly mischievous, possessing healing and prophetic powers. They will usually help the poor and needy, and may warn heroes of upcoming dangers, or warn travellers of natural disasters. They love nature, some say they are born from it in the morning dew, and can speak to animals, and will heal wounded deer. They may even take the form of an animal, and can appear as swans, horses, falcons, or wolves. When in a more human form, they will either be wrapped in leaves, dressed all in white, or will often be completely naked. They are said to sing, The mountains gave me birth, and folded me in green leaves. The dew of the morning that suckled me, and the breezes of the woods that rocked me to sleep were my nurses. They are described as more vicious creatures in German folklore, but usually they are not considered evil. They are not inclined to attack innocence, and are generally benevolent, unless provoked. But if they are crossed, they are definitely to be feared. They are fierce warriors excellent archers, and are said to ride into battle on horses or deer. Some even say they can control the winds, their voices being strong enough to create gusts that could lift a house. A Slavic compliment would be to call someone as fair as the mountain villa, as, as I said before, they are beautiful and remain forever young in appearance. They are depicted with long hair and a powerful sensuousness that fills men with an uncontrollable desire. Their dancing and their voices are hypnotic. Where they dance, they may leave a circle of thick grass, and treading on this is said to bring bad luck. Besotted men will often leave offerings of cakes, fruits, flowers and ribbons for the villa. There are different ideas on how to control or kill a villa. Some say that if you pluck one of their hairs, you can kill them, or this may just transform them into their frightful, true form. If a villa grows wings and you manage to pluck a feather, you may gain control of her. You may also gain control by obtaining a piece of her skin, and if you burn this skin, it could kill her. But generally, villa are thought to have a very special type of existence. They are neither mortal nor eternal. And can choose when to die. There are many theories as to the origin of the name Vila, such as it sharing its roots with the word vile or the Slavic word for vampire. Aside from Serbia, stories of the Vila, sometimes of slight variations of the spelling or pronunciation, such as the Polish Viva, are told throughout many other European countries, and their origins and temperaments change between these versions too. In Serbia, they are usually maidens that have been cursed by God, In Bulgaria, they are girls who have died before being baptised. In Poland, they are beautiful spirits atoning for their frivolous past lives. And in Croatia, they are nature spirits that live on the Velabit mountain range. Variations on these are also told in Germany and other Slavic countries. Similarities can also be drawn to the Vala, or Valkyries, from Scandinavian myth, mainly in their ferocious and fearsome nature in battle. Another similar folklore is that of the Rosalski from Russia. Rosalski are women who live at the bottom of lakes and rivers. They come out at midnight and dance. Their dancing will hypnotise men, particularly very handsome ones, who will find themselves uncontrollably dancing alongside them. The Rosalski will then lead them into the water to drown. In Slavic countries, the expression as swift as a villa is reserved only for the very best horses. I have two other very well-known versions of villa to tell you about, but first I have another story of a girl who was created by the villa. This one is also originally by Stefanovic Karadzic, and is called The Maiden Who Was Swifter Than a Horse. There was once a maiden who had neither father nor mother, for the velas had formed her out of snow, brought at midsummer, on St. Elias's day, from a bottomless cleft in a rock. The wind had fanned her into life, the dew had nourished her, the forest had clothed her with its leaves, and the meadows adorned her with their flowers. She was whiter than the snow, rosier than the rose, brighter than the sun, and more beautiful than any maiden who had ever been upon the earth, or ever will be again. This virgin let it be known throughout the wide world that on a certain day, in a certain place, a race would be run, and that whatever youth, riding on horseback, should overtake her, would win her. This news spread in a few days throughout the whole world, and thousands of suitors came together all mounted on such splendid steeds that you would not know how to say which one was handsomer or better than the other. Even the son of the Tsar came to the race. The suitors drew themselves up in a line, all on horseback, side by side, but the Virgin took her place on foot in the middle of them. Then she spoke.
3: There, at the winning post, I have set up a golden apple. If anyone among you can reach it before me and take it, I will be his, but should I be first at the goal and take the apple, know ye that all who run against me will sink dead on the earth. Think well, therefore, what ye do.
1: But the riders were as if enchanted. Each one hoped to win the maiden, and they said one to the other, It is clear at the outset that this maiden, on foot, will never outrun any of us. But that one among us, whom God and good fortune shall bless, will bear her home. Then, as the maiden clapped her hands together, they all sprang forward on the course. By the time they had run half the distance, the maiden had already outstripped them by a long way, for she had unfolded small wings from below her shoulders. Then the riders shouted to each other, and spurred and whipped their horses until they overtook her. When the maiden saw this, she plucked a hair out of her head and threw it from her. In an instant a dense wood arose, in which the riders lost themselves for a time, not knowing which way to turn. At last, they came upon her track and rushed after her at full speed. Meanwhile, the maiden had greatly gained upon them, but they whipped and spurred their horses and overtook her once more, and when the maiden saw that she was so closely pressed, a tear fell from her eye, which soon became a rapid stream, in which the riders were nearly drowned. Of them all, the son of the Tsar alone, by swimming his horse across the flood, was able to follow her footsteps. As he saw that the maiden was far on before him, he invoked her three times in the name of God to stop.
2: Stop, in the name of God.
1: And she stood still on the place where she was. Then he seized her. I win. And drew her onto the saddle behind. And swimming back on dry land, turned his horse through the mountain pass towards home. But when he reached the highest point and turned round to look at her, lo, the maiden had vanished. Characters inspired by the Vila also feature in the Harry Potter series of books and films. First appearing in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, they're called Vila with a slightly different spelling of V-E-E-L-A instead of V-I-L-A. In the books, they're from Bulgaria and require no wand to perform magic. They're described on online Harry Potter resources as semi-human magical beings, beautiful women with white gold hair, and skin that appears to shine moon-bright. When angry, Vela take on a less pleasant appearance. Their faces elongate into sharp, cruel-beaked bird heads and long, scaly wings burst from their shoulders. In Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Vela are the official mascots of the Bulgarian national Quidditch team at the Quidditch World Cup. A hundred Vela glide onto the pitch before the start of the match and start to dance faster and faster. They have a strange effect upon the men in the stadium. Harry's mind goes completely and blissfully blank as their music begins and he watches them dance and he feels the urge to do something very impressive, such as jumping from the top box into the stadium. When irritated during the match, some of the Vila lose control, launching themselves across the pitch and throwing handfuls of fire at the leprechauns. The famous ballet Giselle took its inspiration from the Vila legends, it refers to them as wheelies, and the French title of the ballet is Giselle ou les wheelies. It was written in the 19th century by Theophile Gautier, who was inspired by a passage from a poem by German poet Heinrich Heine called De l'Allemagne, which spoke of dancing elves and wheelies in white dresses. Gautier imagined this scene on stage and proceeded to write the ballet. He also wrote to Heine, thanking him for the inspiration. In Giselle, the wheelies are the spirits of women who are betrayed in love and died before their wedding day. The story tells of a girl who falls in love with a man, only to later find out that he is already engaged to another woman. The girl then dies of a broken heart and, in death, joins a group of wheelies led by Queen Mertha. These wheelies come out at night to seek revenge on men. They lure them into the forest and force them to dance to their deaths. If a man can make it to daybreak, then he may survive. That cold shudder you sometimes experience when you feel a bit creeped out, where you may hear someone say that something gives them the willies. That also originates from these characters. It's the feeling of a shiver from the touch of a willie. One of the most famous characters in Serbian folklore is Prince Marko. He was a real man who lived from 1335 to 1395, but his legend went on to be used in many Serbian myths, fables and epic poems, including many encounters he had with Vila. According to various stories about Prince Marko, Vila's featured prominently in his life. He was mothered by one, acquired his great strength from one, had his death prophesized by one, and his beloved horse Sarak, often translated to dapple or piebald, was gifted to him by one. There is also an epic Serbian poem about a run-in that Prince Marco had with the notorious villa Raviola, which I'll read at the end of this episode. A famous painting exists which depicts a section of this poem, with Marco riding on Serac, pursued by Raviola. It was painted in 1906 by acclaimed Serbian painter Paja Jovanovic. We're coming to the end of this episode now. I still have the story of Prince Marco, Malosh, and the Villa Raviola. But first, I just want to quickly run through the usual information. Voices this week were provided by Rick Dove, James Mildenstein, and special guest Eleanor Osterberg, who is a listener from Sweden, who also suggested this topic. So thanks so much, Eleanor. If you want to appear as a guest voice in a future 5-Minute Folklore story or want to get in contact about anything else or just say hi, then you can do so directly using the email 5 folklore at gmail.com or via the website 5minutefolklore.com, where you can also find the social media account links for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc., and you can also support the show on there. Or you can help out for free by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. There was lots of Serbian music this week. Under the Maiden and the Horse Story was Kingdom of Serbia by Derek and Brandon Figta, and throughout the rest of the episode was Idiano by Arani Zoltan, Some Serbian Folk on Mandolin, A Section of a Serbian Orthodox Chant, a section of the piece Foreign Visitors Arrive from the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire soundtrack by Patrick Doyle, a section of the Ballet Giselle, and some Serbian colo playing by Kalukolev. Also, underneath the last section, you'll hear the piece Bojaka by Serbian violinist and conductor Vlastimir Pavlovic Karavac. Now, to close out the show, I'm going to read the classic Serbian poem Prince Marko and the Villa. Thanks for listening, and there'll be another episode in two weeks' time. Two sworn brothers were riding over Murach, the mountain fair. Voivoda Milosh and Marco were the two heroes there. Side by side, the steeds they did ride as they bore the spears that day. One kissed the face of the other. Such loving brothers were they. Then Marco on dapple yearned to sleep. He spake to his brother sworn. Voivoda Milosh, heavily by sleep, I am overborn. Sing to me, brother, and cheer me. Prince Marco, brother mine, said Melosh, I would sing to thee, but Marco, I drank the wine, In the mountain with raviola, the villa, yesternight. She forbade me, if she hears me, My throat and heart she will smite. Prince Marco spake, Sing, brother, nor ever the villa fear, When Dapple and I and the war club with six golden knobs are here. Then sang Melosh, the Voivoda, A great and beautiful song, Of our elders and our betters, that held the kingdom long, in famous Macedonia, and the troop that with each did go. The song was pleasing to Marco, and he bowed on the saddle bow. Prince Marco slept in the saddle, and Milos sang on the track, and the Vila Raviola heard him, and sang in answer back. Milosh sang, and the Vila again unto him sang. The better voice had Milosh, and angrily she sprang, away to the mountain Mirach, With two white arrows she smote, Voivoda Milosh through the heart, and likewise in the throat. Said Milosh, Alas, my mother, and woe unto Marco too, Alas, my brother, the villa has shot me through and through. Did I not tell thee I must not sing on Maroc in our course? Marco started from slumber, and sprang from the dappled horse. Well did he stretch the girth straps for dapple the good grey, he kissed him and embraced him, and to the steed did he say, Ah, dapple the steed, of all my strength the great right wing art thou, Raviola, the villa, do thou overtake her now. I will shew thee with pure silver and gold on the seventh proof. I will cover thee with silk to the knee, with tassels thence to the hoof, And all thy mane moreover shall be mingled with the gold, And I will deck thy trappings with small pearls manifold. And if thou dost not overtake her, I will put out both thine eyes. I will break thy legs, all four of them, and leave thee in evil guise. And thou shalt struggle from fur to fur, abandoned and forlorn, even as I, Prince Marco, without my brother sworn. Prince Marco on grey Dapple's back forthwith himself he threw. They raced across Mount Murach, o'er the hills the villa flew, and desperately Dapple galloped in the midst of the forest through. At first, nowhere could the villa be seen or heard thereby. But at last, when Dapple saw her, he leapt three spear lengths high. And a full four spear lengths forward, Dapple gained on her swift. In her distress, she leaped aloft amid the clouds and lift. Up, Marco hurled the golden mace, the weapon of great worth, and smote her between the shoulders and beat her to the earth. Left and right did he smite with the golden club that day. Why shottest thou my brother, Villa? May the good God thee slay. Give thou herbs for the hero, ere long thou shalt lose thine head. The Villa besought him in God's name, imploringly she said, Prince Marco, my sworn brother, God and Saint John before, Release me alive in the forest, to search Mount Morachor, For herbs to heal the hero, and his fierce wounds abate. Marco hearkened her prayer, for his heart was compassionate. Alive into the forest, he let the villa go. She gathered herbs on Marach and wandered to and fro. And she called often, "My brother, I am coming from the field." The villa gathered many a herb and the hero’s wounds she healed. And the lordly throat of Milosh was better than before, and the strong heart of the hero was stronger than of yore. The villa went on to Morach, with his sworn brother good, went Marco into Porach country and forded Timok flood till he came to the great town Bragovo and the Vidin countryside. But Raviola the villa to the other villas cried, Hear ye, my friends the villas, and hearken and give ear, shoot no hero on the mountain where Marco the prince is near, or while Dapple and he, and the war-club with six gold knobs are here. What I have suffered at his hands I have not strength to say, and hardly out of them at last, alive, I got away.